Well, good morning. Um, this morning, we are going to kind of take a break from our series going through the GBC distinctives. Um, this was always planned to be kind of a standalone sermon, and um, somehow I either volunteered or got volunteered to, uh, to fill this spot, and we're going we're gonna to cover all of Deuteronomy. Um, so this is an overview series on the book of, or overview sermon on the book of Deuteronomy. We're going to be preaching through Deuteronomy in the fall. We're going to do an eight-week series on this 34-chapter Old Testament book. Um, but this morning, you can think of this as kind of an overview of Deuteronomy and a preview of that series that's coming up in the fall. Uh, a couple things just to say about preaching and how we think of preaching here. As we've said many times, we're committed at Gresham Bible Church to having the Bible be the, the driving force behind our preaching, that we preach expositional sermons. Um, Typically, this means we preach verse by verse or chapter by chapter or section by section through a book of the Bible, um, and that's what we'll do with Deuteronomy in the fall. That's what we did with Galatians, and we've done with several other books before that, but expositional preaching doesn't always mean verse by verse, chapter by chapter in that same kind of a way. Um, so right now, we're in the middle of a series on our distinctives, which are kind of topical sermons in some ways. But each of those GBC distinctives, we've chosen a passage to have the kind of the main passage for the sermon. And so the sermon still is an expositional sermon in that it's unpacking what the Bible has to say about um, how Scripture is central to all we do and how we all need the gospel, especially me and those other GBC distinctives that we're going through. So this morning, as we look at Deuteronomy, kind of take a high-level look of the book as a whole, it's still, the aim is for it to be an expositional sermon. The, what, what my prayer is, is that we'll hear what God has to say to us from the book of Deuteronomy. Um, now, when we think about a book like Deuteronomy, I think it, it can be the case that we, uh, we wonder what it really has to do with us as Christians. Um, Deuteronomy is a book that's preparing the people of Israel for life in the land. And I think it's a legitimate question for us to ask, how does this book, um, how does it relate to us? What does it have to say to us today as Christians? As we get into it this morning, and then as we look at it more in our series in the fall, I think we're going to see, I'm quite confident we're going to see that this book is really relevant to us today that it reveals God's holy and loving character in all sorts of beautiful ways. It instructs us in how to live, guiding us with principles for life that are eternal principles, not just for Israel, but for us too. And ultimately, how it points, the book of Deuteronomy points us to Jesus and to the gospel. One passage that um, you can go ahead and turn to now, just as we get into this wonderful book, um, we're not gonna go verse by verse for your benefit and for mine. Um, but chapter 10, let's, let's go there, and there's a passage here in chapter 10 that I think really captures quite well the message of the book as a whole. This is Deuteronomy 10, verses 12 through 22. If you want to follow along with me, that'd be great. It says this, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him? to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers 
and, and chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples, as you are this day. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart, and be no longer stubborn. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and hold fast to him, and by his name you shall, you shall swear. He is your praise. He is your God who has done for you these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt, 70 persons, and now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars of heaven. Would you pray with me? Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the privilege it is to have it in our hands, to have what you have said to us, what you have revealed to your people um, right here in a way that we can hear, that we can access, that we can read together. We pray that you would guide us by your word today. We pray that our hearts and minds would be lifted up to you, that we would see who you are more clearly, that we would know what kind of life you desire from us, and most of all, that we would see your grace and your love in Christ. Thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. And we commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So Deuteronomy is a book about God, what God requires of his people. Here, as it says in chapter 10, the Lord requires love from his people. They're to serve him with all their heart and with all their soul and to keep his commandments for, for their own good. To do this, it says, they must have circumcised hearts. This is kind of a, an Old Testament way of saying that our obedience for God and our devotion to him comes from the inside out. It's a matter of the heart. It's, it's about inward love and trust and obedience more than it's about just outward rule following. Living in this way, loving God and serving him with our whole hearts, it's, it's based on what he's done for us and what he has done for the people of Israel. The end of the passage there in chapter 10 gives a reminder of God's faithfulness in the past to the Israelites, how he delivered them from Egypt, where they had gone down in, in Genesis as a family of 70 people, and where they had come out of Egypt as this multitude of a nation, this, this huge, mighty nation that the Lord had grown them into. Deuteronomy as a, as a book kind of marks a significant transition point in the story of the Old Testament and the history of God's people. Um, it records Moses' words from this generation, this generation after the one that came out of Egypt in Exodus, after they had wandered for 40 years in the wilderness. And now they're just about to enter the land that God had promised to give to Abraham and his descendants. So when we read Deuteronomy, it's important to remember that it's just one part of the story. It continues what went before it. Every book in the Bible is important to think of in terms of its context, but with Deuteronomy, it's probably especially important. Um, Deuteronomy is the fifth part of what we call the Pentateuch, or the Torah, or sometimes called the Book of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. It's kind of part five of this first book of the Bible. So reading Deuteronomy itself is it's kind of like if you were to watch one of the Marvel movies without any kind of awareness of all the however many millions of other Marvel movies there, there were before. It's just, it just doesn't work to read it as kind of a standalone. 
Deuteronomy continues the story that began with creation in Genesis and then told the story of Abraham and his family. And then that family, again, became a multitude, a whole nation. They went down to Egypt, and then they became enslaved in Egypt. And then in Exodus, the book that we've kind of become more familiar with as a church this past year, we read of God miraculously delivering them out of Egypt and then bringing them to Mount Sinai and giving them his laws at Mount Sinai. And then in Leviticus and Numbers, following after Exodus, it kind of just continues the story and tells more about those laws um, and also about their, their wandering in the wilderness after Sinai on their way to the promised land. So Deuteronomy just kind of picks up this story where Numbers left off and it flows right out of what came before it. Uh, back at the very beginning of the book, it opens this way in Deuteronomy chapter 1. It says, these are the words that Moses spoke to all Israel beyond the Jordan in the wilderness. This is in the land of Moab on the eastern side of the Jordan River. The people of Israel are sitting here and they're looking over across the river into this land that God has promised them, them, the land of Canaan. Um, It's on the other side and they're getting ready to enter the land. And then in verse 2, it gives this important but kind of humorous little side note. Um, it's almost a little bit even snarky on Moses' part. It says this in verse 2. It says, It is 11 days' journey from Horeb, another name for Mount Sinai, by the way, by the way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea. Um, this is important information. It's not just a geographical, meaningless side note, because Kadesh Barnea is a place that they've been to before. Um, the previous generation, Kadesh Barnea is another place on the border of the land of Canaan. The previous generation, the one that came out of Egypt, had arrived there back in Numbers 13 and 14, and they were supposed to go into the land. But if you remember that story, um, remember the ten, 10 good spies and two bad, or 10 bad spies, two good spies, the 10 faithless, fear, fearful spies who went into the land, they said, these people are too big. We can't go into this land. God won't give us this land. On the other hand, Joshua and Caleb said, no, yes, yes, the Canaanites are big and strong, but God has promised to give us this land. We must go in. And the people of Israel sided with the 10 bad, bad spies, and they said, nope, we're not going to go in. They disobeyed God. They failed to trust him. And their consequence was 40 years of wandering in the wilderness until that whole generation, the generation that came out of Egypt, until they died off in the wilderness. So here, at the beginning of Deuteronomy, we have the next generation, the children of those who came out of Egypt and who should have gone into the promised land the first time. And when it says here in verse 2, it should have taken you 11 days to get to this point, but here it is 40 years later. It's, it's a pretty poignant reminder for the people in this generation of their past failure and their past faithlessness and the consequences that they experienced as a result. But here they are now. It's a kind of a hopeful moment for the generation. They're about to cross into the land. It's a momentous and long-awaited occasion for them. And Deuteronomy is a book of Moses' words, kind of his last words and God's words to them to prepare them for life in the land. Verse 3 continues and says, In the 40th year, on the first day of the month, of the 11th month, Moses spoke to the people of Israel according to all that the Lord had given him in commandment to them. In a sense, Deuteronomy is a retelling of what went before, a retelling of the laws that God had given them before and the story of Genesis through Numbers. 
Um, our title for the book of Deuteronomy is, it, it means second law. Um, and this is a title that was given somewhat later in history, um, not an inspired title by any means, and in some ways kind of a little bit misleading of a title for the book. Uh, it's not really a second law, but it's a kind of an expounding on and explaining of the law that went before it and the story that went before it. Um, this is Moses retelling the story in a sense. Verse 5, it says this in verse 5, it says, Beyond the Jordan in the land of Moab, Moses undertook to explain the law. And then it goes into what follows after that. This is kind of a, this is kind of an overview statement of what the book of Deuteronomy is. It's an explanation of the law. In that way, it's kind of like an expositional sermon. The book of Deuteronomy is one big, long expositional sermon, or really several, a, a kind of a series of expositional sermons from Moses to the people. And the text he's using to preach from is Genesis through Numbers, what he wrote previously. Um, so we have in Deuteronomy kind of a good example of expositional preaching, in a sense. And then on the other end, Deuteronomy ends with Moses' death. And so it's a significant transition point. After that, the book of Joshua tells of when Israel does cross into the promised land over the Jordan River, led by Joshua. In this way, Deuteronomy has been called the linchpin of the Old Testament, of the entire Old Testament. It's a significant transition point that kind of gives a conclusion to the Pentateuch and Moses' pastoral commentary on what went before. But it also is an introduction to everything else that we see in the rest of the Old Testament. It previews what we're going to read in the historical books, starting with Joshua, and it, it lays the foundation for the prophets and their teaching in the rest of the Old Testament. And really, as we'll see, it sets us up in a lot of really significant ways for the New Testament and for the coming of Christ. Later biblical writers, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, refer to Deuteronomy almost constantly. Um, it's the, one of the most often cited books of the Bible in the rest of the Bible. Uh, the, the stories of First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings and the succession of kings in Israel and Judah, those are all described. All those kings are described with reference back to Deuteronomy 17 and its instructions for Israel's king once they get into the land. Um, the prophets, especially Jeremiah, um, he's, he's always talking about these blessings and curses that Israel is experiencing. And again, here he's referencing the blessings and cursings that the curses that Deuteronomy lays out, um, especially in chapter the later chapters of Deuteronomy. And then in the New Testament, um, we see Deuteronomy referred to again all the time. Um, Jesus in Matthew four, when he is being tempted in the wilderness, to each of the three temptations that the devil gives, Jesus responds by quoting from Deuteronomy. And when Jesus is asked, what's the greatest commandment? He cites Deuteronomy chapter 6 and says, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then in Acts 3, um, Peter, in one of his sermons, he says that Jesus is the fulfillment of Deuteronomy 18 and Deuteronomy 34, where it said that there's a prophet like Moses that will come and restore all things. Um, so there's, there's several places all through the Old Testament and New Testament that refer back to Deuteronomy. And in our series in the fall, we'll look at more of these for sure. Um, but for now, we can just say that overall, the book of Deuteronomy is a book about preparing Israel for life in the land. It's 
a book that gives God's law and explains God's law. It presents an ideal for God's people to live by, and it promises God's favor on them if they love him and walk in his ways. So part of the message that Moses and God are trying to convey throughout the book of Deuteronomy is a call to obey God's commands. The Israelites must live according to God's law as they embark on this new life in Canaan. This land will be a place of blessing and flowing with milk and honey and the fulfillment of all God's promises, but their experience of those blessings is contingent upon their obedience and their devotion to the Lord. Flipping ahead to Deuteronomy 6, where it does have that most famous of passages in Deuteronomy, um, it says this. Let me, just, let me just read the most famous section, sometimes called the Shema, the one that Jesus was referring to as the greatest commandment. Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. They're to love the Lord, and the way they're to do that is by keeping his commandments, by keeping his law. Just before this, Moses had given one of the many charges that we see scattered throughout Deuteronomy of this instruction to keep God's law and find favor with him. Chapter 6 starts this way. It says, Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules, that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. The purpose of the law, these commandments and statutes and all these other words that describe the law, the purpose is, is to help the people to love God and to follow in his ways, to fear him. And if they do, it says over and over again, then it will go well for them. Things will be good for them in the promised land. They're to pass these instructions along to their children. They're to write them down in prominent places all throughout their home so that they can remember them. They're supposed to speak of them constantly. So they'll remember what God has done for them and so that they'll have their minds set on this life that God calls them to, a life of obedience and love for God. The purpose of the law, as it says later at the end of chapter 6, the purpose is that they will fear God for their good always. This, this is kind of an overview of one aspect of the message of the book of Deuteronomy. Love God and obey his laws and you will experience his favor. Pretty straightforward in a lot of ways. But at Gresham Bible Church, where we value the gospel, where we look at the New Testament and we see the work of Christ, there's some things that could sound a little bit different than what we've come to know and love about the gospel. In some ways, doesn't this sound almost like a message of salvation by works? We do good and we earn God's favor and he gives us blessings as a result. Um, Last week, Mike preached on 1 Corinthians 15, and we looked at our church dis distinctive of we all need the gospel, especially me. Um, and then before that, we were in the book of Galatians, and the message of the book of Galatians that's just such a strong message is that the gospel is a gospel of God's grace. 
It's not about our works. It's not about our effort to earn God's favor. We must not and we cannot add to the gospel and make it about our efforts, about our good works. To do that, is, as we learned in Galatians and as we try to remind ourselves of over and over, to do that is to distort the gospel. And really, it's to proclaim something that's not the gospel at all. And so when we read Deuteronomy and we see this message that sounds like a gospel of works, we have to ask ourselves, what does this have to do with us? What, is, what does the book of Deuteronomy have to say to us? And how does, it, how does it fit with the gospel? We know that God is unchanging. We know that he cannot contradict himself. And we know that the book of Deuteronomy is God's inspired word to us, just as much as Galatians is. So how could this message of law-keeping that we read in Deuteronomy, how could it fit with the gospel of grace? We've been looking at one side of the message of Deuteronomy. There's another side of the message too, that the book of Deuteronomy itself conveys this other message. And we're going to get there. Bear with me. We'll, we'll get there in a few minutes. And also as we go through this, this series in the fall, we're going to see it over and over. Um, the, the book of Deuteronomy does point to the gospel. And part of its message, an important part, just as important part of its message, is that it magnifies the riches of God's grace in Christ. But let's linger here for just a minute longer. Let's think about the law. What, as we read the law, we don't want to just skip over the whole Pentateuch and say, yeah, 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 let's get to Jesus. We, we want to see it as God's word to us because it is. And so I want to think together about how the laws in the Pentateuch, how the laws in Deuteronomy relate to us and are relevant to us as Christians. And I think there are many different ways, but I want to just think together about a few of the ways the law provides value for us as we read it as Christians. One value in reading the, these laws is that they reveal to us who God is. They show us his character. They show us his holiness and justice, but they also show us his love and grace. The commandments explain for us the kind of standards a holy God requires of his people because he is holy. That's his character. In chapter 10, the passage we read at the beginning, it says that God is impartial. He is just, and he executes justice for the sojourner and the widow. And in the same way, Israel is commanded to love the sojourner among them. In this way, they live in accordance with God's loving character. So the law is a way for God's people to act in a way that resembles their, their holy God. They, and we too, are to be holy because God is holy. He's like no other so-called God. And so we're to be distinct and set apart. The laws reminded Israel of God's grace in choosing them to be his special people, his treasured possession. Deuteronomy is full of language of love and the heart aspect of our relationship with him, of, of God's relationship with his people. It would be a misunderstanding and one that I think we're probably all have, have fallen into at different times to understand or to think of Deuteronomy and assume that it's a message just about outward rule keeping. But that's not what we read. We read all these, all this language of heart and loving God and being devoted to Him at a heart level. Keeping the commandments was a way for the Israelites to reflect God's holiness and righteousness and to remember that God had done so much for Him and had demonstrated His love and faithfulness to them in so many ways. He had delivered them through mighty acts um, in their past. And for the Israelites and for the nations around them and for us today, 
the law demonstrates to us who God is. So the laws of the Old Testament don't apply to us directly in the same way they did to the Israelites. Um, we're, we're in a different situation. We're under the new covenant, which we'll get to later. But like the Israelites, we're to meditate on God's word, including the Pentateuch, including Deuteronomy, and its story and its laws. And as we do, we grow in our knowledge for God and in our love for God and our understanding of his holy and just and kind character. The laws also benefit us as we read them as Christians by helping us see what kind of life is pleasing to God. Again, we don't live under the law the way the Israelites did. We're under the new covenant, and the specific commandments of the Pentateuch don't apply to us like they did to them. I want to be clear about that. But the principles underlying those laws still hold true, and when we read those laws, we can see those principles. God has not changed, and the things that he commanded of his people are still based on eternal principles that are unchanging, that fit with his character. We can look to the laws in Deuteronomy as windows into the general eternal principles that they're grounded in, as helpful guides for us for how to live a godly Christian life before him, a life that's pleasing to him. In a way, Deuteronomy itself is kind of an example of applying the principles that were given in those laws to earlier generations applying those principles maybe in different ways to this new generation. Um, Moses is saying, these same laws apply, and the same principles under these laws still apply to you, but they're going to look a little different as you go into the land. One example that I think helpfully illustrates this, and there's a lot we could look at, but Deuteronomy 22.8 has this, this one specific law. It's within, embedded within this section of all the specific laws for them as they go into the land, and it's, they're commanded to build parapets, which I didn't know what that word means, but it's, it's a word that basically means railings. So as they build, when they build houses, when they get into the land, they're, they're commanded, a law in the, in the book of Deuteronomy, is to build railings around their roofs so that people don't fall off when they're, when they're on the roof, because they had flat roofs, they hung out on the roof, um, the principle underlying this law is that human life made in God's image is valuable, and we're to try to uphold that value. It's the same principle that is underneath the, the sixth commandment, do not murder, because life is valuable, life is important. And so uh, one practical way that they value life is by building railings. And, and for the generation before this, they didn't need this law, this specific law, because they were a nomadic people. They were wandering in the wilderness. They lived in tents. They didn't have roofs. They didn't need railings. Uh, but for this new generation, they need a new law because their life is different. Um, they apply the principle in different ways. And so for us, we don't have, typically we don't have flat roofs, so we don't need to build parapets on our roof, though um, maybe we could, maybe we could make little forts up there. And, uh, but it's still just as important for us today to value human life made in God's image. The, the principle underlying those specific laws is just as important for us. And to take measures to act in accordance with that principle. Um, for us, maybe it's something like seatbelts in our cars. That's, that's a, I mean, it's, I'm not trying to preach at you to wear your seatbelts. That's whatever. But the, the point is, that's an application. We, we wear seatbelts. We take measures to protect those within our care in order to uphold the principle that life is valuable and that we want to protect those who God has entrusted to us. So God's commands in Deuteronomy 
Um, they help us better understand the principles for loving God and living in a way that pleases Him. As we go again, as we go through our series in the fall, we'll look at these more and see some other ways that the principles of Deuteronomy can uh, guide us in our lives um, living for God. But the most important value that the law has for us today is that it points ahead to Jesus. One aspect that we've been thinking about so far about the message of the book of Deuteronomy is that God's people must obey his laws, and if they do, things will go well for them. But there's another side of the message of Deuteronomy too, and this is, this is the part that points to the gospel. The law presents this standard for holy living, and that standard as we see in Deuteronomy and in the rest of the Bible and in the rest of human history, that standard is ultimately impossible to fulfill outside of a work of God and His grace. The law requires holiness, but if there's one thing that we see in Deuteronomy, again, in all of human history, in all of the Bible, it's that no one is able to live up to that standard of righteousness that a holy God requires. Nobody can achieve the righteousness the law requires. In this way, the book of Deuteronomy has a message that points forward to something better. And this is the second part of the message of Deuteronomy. This is not something that I think, I believe, I'm confident, this isn't something we import back into Deuteronomy. This is something that's there in Deuteronomy itself. God himself will make it possible to walk in his ways. Deuteronomy, this Old Testament book in the Pentateuch, proclaims the wonderful news of the Lord's new covenant that's coming, the work that he will do for us in Christ. This is where we see the gospel most clearly in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy looks forward and casts this vision for life in the land for Israel that's both positive in one sense and also negative in another sense. It paints a picture of a bright, optimistic future showing Israel how good things will be for them if they follow God and keep his instructions. But it also paints a picture that's a bit more pessimistic, actually a lot more pessimistic. It takes an honest look at the state of the Israelites' heart and the state of all of our hearts, really, apart from the grace of God in us. It's, it's a realistic look at Israel's past faithlessness and sin and forward into their continued faithlessness and failure as they go forward from this point on. Looking back, Deuteronomy shows how the Israelites uh, rejected God's promises and failed to enter the promised land. And even before that, they worshiped this golden calf right at the moment that God was giving them the commandments. Um, it also recounts all their wilderness wanderings and the grumbling and the, the rebellious heart that they demonstrated over and over again. Really, up until this point, it's just been a track record of, of sin and stubbornness and hard-heartedness. And Deuteronomy, at the same time, also emphasizes God's great, gracious love for them that he's shown them in the past. The Israelites are reminded that they were not chosen as God's people because of their righteousness, but because of God's promises and his love. In chapter 9, it says that God chose them, he loved them, and he is giving them the land in spite of their stubbornness and sin. Deuteronomy looks back both at Israel's past sin and at God's past grace and kindness to them. And it also points forward. Again, like we said, it's this transitional book. Um, the saying, the past is prologue, is a good kind of overall statement of the viewpoint of Deuteronomy. 
that looks back in order to look, look forward. Israel's past sin and God's faithfulness in the past to his covenant promises sets the stage for Moses preparing the people to enter the promised land. Here, as Moses is instructing the Israelites to obey God's commands when they go into the land, there's really kind of a major problem with the scenario. On the one hand, there's part of the problem is that there are Canaanites in the, in the land. They're mighty people, they're pagan people, they're, um, they worship all sorts of other gods, but God has addressed that over and over, and he said, I'm going to take care of that. I'm going to defeat the Canaanites before you. You don't have to worry about that. So the, pro- the real problem, the part that God didn't promise to take care of in that way, is that the Israelites are going to be in the land, and the Israelites have sin in their own hearts. And that's a situation that hasn't changed and that God promises in Deuteronomy or Moses prophesies that it it won't change immediately. The greater problem in the land, the biggest problem in the land is the sin in the Israelites' own hearts. They've already proven that they cannot keep the law. They haven't shown themselves to be the kind of people who trust God and love him wholly. And nothing has fundamentally changed with this new generation now. Toward the end of Deuteronomy, this point becomes unmistakably clear. Uh, By the final chapters of the book, Moses has hammered home the point that if they obey God and keep his commandments, it'll go well, and if they don't, it's going to go really bad for them. The message culminates in chapters 29 through 31, kind of, I think, the most important section of the book. Moses, again, there reiterates that God has remained faithful even though they have not consistently They do not have a heart to fully grasp who God is and to live in obedience to him and in love for him. And if they continue to sin against God, they'll experience his righteous anger and ultimately, eventually, will be exiled from the land that they're about ready to go into. As as we look at this and as we read this from our vantage point, looking back on history and knowing what followed after this, we see that this is, in fact, what happened. All of these Things that are predicted in Deuteronomy have come true, and the people eventually, after a long time of living in rebellion and sin against God and continually falling into idolatry and breaking the covenant from their their side of things, they get exiled out of the land. They get thrown into Assyria and then Babylon later in their history. But we don't need just hindsight to see that. We can see that that's the future uh, that's that's going to happen to them from the book of Deuteronomy itself. In chapter 30, and if you have a ch- chance, if you can flip there, and in verse 1 of chapter 30, it says, And when all these things come upon you, the blessings, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you, then it goes on and um, gives more after that, but the But here it says, when these things happen to you. It doesn't say, if these things happen to you. It says, when this happens to you, when you experience the blessing, and then the curse, and then exile, being kicked out of the land. Um, It's kind of a foregone conclusion that this this sequence of events will happen. And then later, in chapter 31, uh, it's even more clear that things will not go well for the people of Israel in their future. There, the Lord tells Moses that Moses is about to die, and he'll lie down with his fathers. And then God says this in verse 16 of chapter 31. Then this people will rise and whore after the foreign gods among them in the land that they are entering, and they will forsake me and break my covenant that I have made with them. Then my anger will be kindled against them in that day, 
and I will forsake them and hide my face from them, and they will be devoured. Then in chapter 31, uh, at the end of chapter 31, it ends with these prophetic words from Moses to the people of Israel. It says this in verse 29, For I know that after my death, this is Moses speaking, you will surely act corruptly and turn aside from the way that I have commanded you. And in the days to come, evil will befall you, because you will do what is evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger through the work of your hands. This is really, in some ways, quite a depressing message to the Israelites. I'm sure I would imagine, I think it's probably the case, that they would be kind of discouraged to hear this from Moses and from God at this point. Uh, But again, part of the message is also God's grace. Embedded throughout Deuteronomy is is this recurring theme that God has been faithful and nothing has changed with that. God will remain faithful to his covenant promises, even though they will not. And there's also one crucial, hopeful element included in this last section, in chapter 30, verse 6. This is one of those verses that's kind of like Genesis 3.15, where where they're embedded in these curses that are promised because of Adam and Eve's fall into sin. We see this hopeful promise of the seed of the woman who will come and crush the head of the serpent. Deuteronomy 30 and verse 6 is kind kind of like that, and it says this. It says, in the midst of all these, embedded in all these kind of predictions of their future failure, it says, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, that you may live. The Lord himself will act. This is the gospel in Deuteronomy. The Lord will do something that will make a way for his people to be right with him. He will give them a heart to follow him. He'll restore those who are truly his people, and he'll fulfill his covenant promises to them. This is the promise of a new covenant that will come. This new covenant that's promised here in Deuteronomy 30, um, it's repeated in the rest of the Old Testament at different points, key points, especially in Jeremiah 31 and Ezekiel 36. There God says he will make a new covenant. It will be different than the one that he made with the Israelites when they came out of Egypt. His law will be written on their hearts instead of on stone tablets. He'll cleanse his people from their sins. He'll give them a new heart. He'll put his own spirit within them. And he'll cause them, he'll enable them, he'll empower them and us to walk with him and obey him. Moses and the other prophets in the Old Testament looked ahead to a new covenant, a work not of our own, but a work of God himself a work of the Lord that would change God's people from the inside out. For us today, as we read Deuteronomy, we have an advantage over those people, over the Israelites who were first hearing this prophetic message about a new covenant that would come in their future. We have an advantage over them, and it's a huge advantage. It's the advantage of all advantages. We're on the other side of new covenant fulfillment. We get to look back on what God has done to give us a new heart to make a way for us to live before a righteous and holy God. As they could remember God's mighty act of delivering them from Egypt, we can look back on an even greater act of God delivering us by sending his own son to redeem us from the slavery of sin. We look back on what Deuteronomy anticipates. Deuteronomy looks forward past Israel's long track record of failure and sin, and it anticipates Jesus. 
Deuteronomy points to the one and only one who would keep the law perfectly and who would, in his death, fulfill the demands of the law, atoning for sin and not his own sin, for he had no sin and he needed no atonement, but he atoned for our sin. He cleansed us, those who, by faith in him, have been given a righteousness that's not our own. Deuteronomy helps us see more clearly the glorious gospel that we read of in places like Romans 8. Romans 8, verses 3 and 4 says, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. The law that we read in Deuteronomy was a good gift from God to his people, but because of sin, they could not fulfill its demands. Nobody could. It could not, the law could not achieve in them the righteousness that God requires. So God sent his own son to condemn and defeat sin, to pay the penalty for sin in his flesh, and to fulfill the righteous requirements that the law demands. Now we have been counted righteous, no longer under the curse of sin, because of Christ's saving death on the cross. This is the good news of the gospel, and the good news of the gospel goes even further than this. Because of Christ's new covenant work promised in Deuteronomy, we've been given a new heart. We have his spirit in us so we can walk in his ways. We're not accountable to all the specific laws in Deuteronomy and the Pentateuch, and we don't obey in order to earn God's favor, but we're still called to live by those principles and and to love him and walk with him as a response to his love and grace. Like the Israelites, we're to to live wholly devoted to God, loving him with our whole being because he first loved us. And we're to love our neighbors in a way that reflects his good character. And the good news of the gospel is that we can do that now. Because of Christ's work and by his spirit, we're enabled to live the life that Deuteronomy calls us to live. Not only are we counted righteous in Christ, but we're being made righteous our hearts and lives are actually changed. We don't arrive at perfect righteousness the moment we put our faith in Jesus, but we are fundamentally changed in that moment. We're made new. We're given a new heart, a soft heart, and the Spirit of God himself is in us and with us. In Deuteronomy's language, our hearts have been circumcised by the Lord's own gracious and mighty work so that we will grow to love him more fully gradually, incrementally, in this this process. Because we love him, we want to live for him, for his glory and for our good. That becomes more and more of a reality in our life the moment we put our faith in him. This is the wonderful news and the great hope of the gospel. As Christians, we're saved from sin's penalty and from sin itself. We're on an inevitable trajectory towards becoming more like him and towards an eternity with him. We look forward to an even greater future with blessings far greater than the blessings of Canaan. Because we have been given a new heart, this means we can have hope today, even in the struggles that are very real in our lives. You can have victory in that area of sin that seems like it's, it's just constant failure. You can find joy in the Lord despite the darkness that hangs over you so often. In a marriage that feels totally stuck, you can make progress. You can change. You can heal because of the new covenant. 
You can see something good on the other side of the pain of sin, whether it's your own sin or sin that's been committed against you and harmed you. For all these things and more, Deuteronomy has a hopeful message of life under the new covenant. Because of God's grace, through Christ's death and resurrection and by his spirit in us, we can live in a way that pleases him. And we can experience the eternal blessings that come from loving the Lord our God with all our heart and with all our soul and with all our mind and with all our strength. Would you pray with me? Father, we do thank you for this really amazing news of the gospel. Thank you that you have paid the penalty for our sin. Thank you that we can and should never tire of rejoicing in your salvation and your grace. And thank you that part of that message is that we can experience the reality of your salvation in our life today, that you are changing us, that you, you have fundamentally changed our hearts. You've given us a new heart. You've given us a new identity in Christ as Christians. Thank you that we can live in that reality. And even when it feels hopeless, we know we can have hope. Would you give us hope? Would you help us be more like you, walk in your ways more fully, love you more deeply? Would you stir our affections so that we trust you and so that we, we, we want to live for you? And then would you um, just bring about results of, of fruitful life that reflect who you are in your goodness and your faithfulness. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.